I, uh, I feel like it's probably only fair that I answer my own table talk question uh, to give you some thoughts as we go forward about how I feel I would do as a farmer. Um, I love the idea of farming. I think it sounds fantastic, like living off the land, being self-sufficient, uh, like raising animals and crops. But like some of you, I think I might struggle with a few of the practicalities of it, particularly, as was noted, the early morning's not exactly my strongest suit. But also there's a, a time I remember kind of a few years back, I'm a lot younger, um, I'm like nine years old or something at this time, um, and quite often I'd go down to Dumfries and Galloway to visit my nan who lives down there. And my great uncle uh, owns a, a farm in the region, a farm called Karachan. And so occasionally, when I think my nan had ran out of ideas for what to do in Dumfries, uh, she would take me to visit my, my great uncle on his farm. And I remember one occasion where uh, I was allowed to go out with my second cousin in the combine harvester. And so I sat in the cab, really excited, because that seemed really dramatic at nine years old. And my second cousin, he drove up and down these perfectly straight, wonderful lines. Um, and then he was like, do you want a shot? Do you want to have a go? And I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, so I grabbed the kind of steering wheel of this combine harvester. And oh my days, you have never seen worse lines in your life. Like it's weaving through the field left and right. I feel very sorry for him having to tidy that up later on. But farming may not be quite my strength. Although... As we may explore later on today, I think actually in some ways we are all called to be farmers in God's kingdom. So we'll come to that in a little bit. But we're going to start with our reading this afternoon. If you want to follow along, it's from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There are some Bibles at the sides, and it will also be up on the screen behind me if you want to follow over. It says this, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called the Magdalene, from whom seven demons came out, Joanna, the wife of Churas, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because it had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And when he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes uh, to take away the word from their heart so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy in their hearts, but it has no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, 
But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those who are noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and preserving, uh, produce a crop. And so that is our word for this afternoon. A, uh, a fantastic little parable, one that I'm sure some of you out there will have heard before. It's a kind of Sunday school classic, uh, one of the go-to ones, the uh, parables of Jesus that a lot of people come to, one that I've heard myself many times over the years. But actually, it's only in the last few months I've kind of come back to it through conversations and discussions with others and realized there were maybe bits to it that I kind of missed. But it is a fantastic picture for us to take and to, to think about. This picture of the Word of God that is given out and us being like that soil. And the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to the Word of God as it enters our lives? Are we changed and transformed by it, or do we reject it and turn away? And as we'll come to in a bit, actually, I think there's some other elements to be pulled out to in this particular sermon. And I think one of the things that kind of stuck in my mind as I was preparing and as I was thinking over uh, for this afternoon is the fact that I can relate to this parable in, in kind of two particular ways. I think in some ways the parable is very much about people who are encountering the Word of God for the first time in their lives, and there's different responses that they as the soil may give to the Word of God. But it also kind of struck me that this parable also echoes many of the experiences that I've had after coming to faith, that I can see a parallel for different periods and seasons in my life and the responses that I was willing to give God in those times. So regardless of whether you have been a Christian for years or whether you're coming in here for the first time and a bit confused at why you're listening to this guy on the stage, I think there's a lot to be taken from this parable and from these words. So we'll start uh, with a question. Because reading this through, it came to me one particular question. It's a question that I don't think we ask very much. The cheesy way of wording it might be, how's your soil doing? But the other more practical way might be, how is your Christian walk doing? How is your walk with God going? It's one of those questions that I, I don't think we ask very often in church. We probably should. We definitely should. But we, we happily gather. We have fellowship with one another. But how often do we actually encourage, build up, challenge each other on how our walk with God is doing? What growth are we seeing in our lives? Because as Christians, as those who believe there should be growth and life, and if there's not, then there's questions to be asked of what is going on in us, what needs worked out so that we can see more fruit and we can see more growth. So how is your soil? Is it like the first soil that we find in this parable here? A path. Uh, I want you to maybe picture this a little bit in your mind to, to give a bit more flavor to what this is talking about. Imagine back 2,000 odd years ago um, in uh, the heat of the Near East in kind of around Israel, and you've got this path that just gets walked and trodden over by person after person. It's got the baking sun coming down on it. It's got foots and carts and all the rest of it, and it is just this really compacted ground. This is kind of the picture that we're talking about here, a really dense, compacted, trodden down kind of soil. 
And unsurprisingly, in this situation, when the seed comes down and, and is uh, cast over by the farmer, it just bounces off the ground. It finds no purchase. It finds nothing to hold on to. It bounces off, and then it maybe gets stood on or it gets eaten by birds, and it gets forgotten about. I think sometimes that can be like many of us in our lives. For some people, it is just their response to God. They may hear the Word of God. They may hear a word, or they may see a verse, or they may have some kind of understanding of church, but for them, it's just a hard pass. It's a hard no. They're not interested in having any kind of time for it. They just don't, they don't care. But I think also for us who are Christians, there are seasons, at least I've experienced in my life, where I feel like I'm kind of resistant to the Word of God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know what God has to say. It's kind of like a, like a Jonah moment where I'm like, he's saying one thing and I'm wanting to go the other direction, a, a reluctance and a resistance to the Word of God. And that can come in our lives when we feel trodden down, broken down, when the heat of the sun is bearing on us and we're in this position of going, I can't do it and I can't respond to this, where we just feel a little bit hopeless and a little bit trodden by life. And that's okay. That is a reality of life that we may face from time to time. And the first thing to dealing with that kind of situation is to acknowledge it, to be honest with where we're at. Don't pretend things are great if they aren't. Be honest with where we are in our faith. And it got me thinking a little bit um, about a program that I remember from years ago. Uh, did anyone ever watch Ground Force? Anyone remember Ground Force with Alan Titchmarsh back in the day? I'm sure there's modern equivalents. The basic gist of it was that uh, like this crew of folks would come up to someone's house and they would have this absolute state of a garden. Like it was genuinely terrible. Like it had not had any kind of care or attention given to it. Often just dried out dirt in the back. And they would come in and the person would leave their house for a bit. And Alan and the team, they would come in and they would do their work for a couple of days, maybe a week. And at the end of it, the garden would be transformed. What was this kind of wasteland of a backyard has suddenly become this place of life and of beauty. Now, I have to admit, watching the program, I often asked, how well did they take care of that garden after the team leaves? But that's just a side note. I would encourage each of you, regardless of where you feel, that there is always hope in God. Even situations that seem utterly hopeless, God has the power to transform but it starts by acknowledging where we're at and responding to the Word of God. And that might take a, a hard plow going through that tough dirt. It might take a washing from the, the water of life in our lives, it soaking in the things of God. But no matter how dried out, how empty, how trodden down you may feel in life, God has hope and life for you. And next we come to the rocky ground. I think this one is actually the one that I see the most, sadly, as a youth worker. I recognize this ground a lot. It's this ground where um, something happens and a seed gets planted and it starts to have some kind of life, but then it just doesn't really seem to go anywhere. So an example of that is, is maybe the kind of faith where you jump from one high point to another, but there's these deep troughs in between. So, for example, I see it with young people where quite often um, they'll maybe come along to an event like, like Soul Survivor, or they'll go on a weekend away, or they'll go to a camp, and at the end of that, their faith is on fire for God. Maybe you've been in that position, on fire, passionate, they are loving God, but they get back to the everyday of life, they get out of that situation, and there were no roots there. 
It might have been the spark of life. There was hope in that situation, but it just never found any depth. It never found any depth. And why didn't it find any depth? Because of what was going on under the surface. Because there were other things in play that maybe on the outlook it looked kind of okay, but underneath there were rocks and boulders, and they just kind of didn't give any space for the, ro- for the roots to go down. You might have been in that situation, jumping from high point to low point to high point to low point in faith. I would encourage you, if that is you, that the way to get out of that kind of a cycle is to be honest and deal with the things that are crushing, the things that are underneath the surface, the rocks that are getting in the way and not giving space for that Word of God to grow in you. And just like the dry ground, it is possible. They can be dug out. There is space and freedom beyond where we find ourselves. But it starts with acknowledging it, and then it starts with a little bit of work in partnership with God to see the soil renewed once again. And then we have our thorny ground. I'm going to be honest here, I think this is probably the situation that the majority of Christians I encounter are actually in, if I'm being blunt and I'm being honest, because I've been in that position myself, and it's not necessarily to make people feel uh, defensive or accused, but to be real with where we're at. What is the thorny ground? Well, it's when there's all these other things going on in what would be good soil, but there is just no space for God to grow. There's thorns and weeds and other things that are going to get in and about what would be fantastic soil, but we ain't given space to God in the midst of it. What priority does God actually get in your life? Like if you're thinking of the the hierarchy of things, what gets kind of priority over what in, in the daily life, how much space does God really get in that? Is it maybe a, maybe a kind of weekend turning up to church? Is it maybe like maybe a midweek Bible study or something? Does he get space in the everyday? Because if we give him space, he will grow and he will grow good things in us. But it can be so easy to let other stuff into that soil. Things that might even seem good, things that we care about, that we're passionate about. But if they're not God, then they're taking space away from him time and again, when we go to pleasures, when we go to temptations, when we go to even just the good things in life, but we forget God in the midst of it. We're kind of choking Him out. We're not giving the space for God to grow in us. And so, I would encourage you to think honestly about your life. Where does God come on that ranking list? Because if it's not first, then you're missing out. You're missing out on the wonder of what true growth looks like. Because the thing is, from a distance, sometimes weeds and stuff, they can look okay. They can look like there's a bit of life and there's a bit of greenery going on in that patch over there. But just like many of the borders of our church, the closer you look, the worse it actually seems to get. And they need to be weeded out. They need to be taken out. And sometimes we need to actually sacrifice things that we so often care about to give more space to God and let Him work and Him grow in our lives. And the result, time and again, that I have seen is more often than not beautiful and wonderful and exciting. But it does, like all of this soil, take a bit of a work to get there. And finally, we come to the good soil, the soil that I think, or at least I hope, we all aspire to be. 
good soil, soil where uh, there's not too many rocks left under the ground where we've dealt with some of that stuff, where we've broken up the hard bits of, of dry trodden in ground, where we've weeded out some of the things in our life that maybe shouldn't have been there or have got too much space and time, and we've allowed God's Word to grow in us. But it's not like we get there and then we're done, just like with uh, with ground force and the garden. It might look good to start with, but there's got to be tending that keeps on going if we want life to continue in that garden and in that soil. In my flat, I have a, a plant. Uh, it's like a small tree thing. I've had it, for, I don't really know what type of plant it is. Uh, I got it for like a tenner at a B&Q about eight or nine years ago. It kind of looks like a small tree. It's about that high. It's got a lot of I don't know. Anyone who knows more about plants can maybe tell me later on. Maybe like a tiny palm tree is the best way I can describe it. Anyway, it goes, I feel so sorry for this plant because it goes for long periods of time where I kind of forget it exists. It sits in a corner and then I'm like, oh no, I should really water that thing because it is looking terrible. And I give it like a big dose of water and then I forget about it for another month. And then I, miraculously it is still alive, but I don't know how, okay? Like, it is not a well-tended plant by any means. But you can tell the difference in the plant by how the soil is doing. When I've been watering it, when I've been giving it the right plant stuff, like, it has life to it. Its, it's branches are exuberant and energetic. Like, and then other times when it's dry soil, when there's not been much water poured in, it looks like a really sad sight. It's droopy, and then there's like bits of it that are just kind of dying and brown. Like, it's, it's not good. And the same is true for us. We may have good soil, but we have to maintain that good soil. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes us working with God in our lives. But I truly believe that it is in that partnership with God where His Word is at work in us that we find the fullest possible life. But to do that, we do have to continuously come back to be refilled by the Spirit of God. We have to come to places and gatherings like church where we can be filled up and excited and, and, and meet with other Christians and be encouraged and be challenged and be accountable. We've got to be working these good things into our lives if we want our soil to be good, to give the best possible space for God to grow things in us. And that growth may be simply faith to begin with, but beyond that, there's the wonder of the fruits of the Spirit that grow out of what God is doing in us. Faith, hope, love. I, I, I normally know them, and I just realized I don't, and I should, anyway. But they're wonderful things to grow out. To grow out. I'm not going to search, but it's good. Wonderful things of God to be grown out in our lives. And we should be looking and aspiring to that. But as I said before, I think there's another element to this passage that I hadn't ever really considered until fairly recently. It's not called the parable of the soil. It's called the parable of the sower. The focus in the name and the title of our parable is that of the farmer. And it kind of got me thinking about this picture, this farmer that we see in our passage here today? What do we learn about this farmer? And it's worth noting at the very beginning of this passage, it talks about how Jesus is going from village to village, spreading the good news and talking about the kingdom of God. So, what we find here is the parable of a kingdom farmer. I think that's important because, I mean, as I've already stated, I'm no expert farmer, 
but he doesn't look like that great a farmer in the parable. Like, I'm just looking it over, and I'm seeing a farmer who's taking their seed, and they're scattering it left, right, and center. They're chucking it on paths. They're chucking it in thorny ground. There's like stones and stuff over there, and they're lobbing seeds over there. Out here, there, and everywhere, the seed is being given out. And that's not really how I understand farming's meant to be. You, you, you plow a bit of land, and you, you put seed in that little bit of land, and you're, you're strategic in where you put your seed. And you don't want to waste it because it's expensive, and no one wants to be chucking it all over the place. But that's not the example of a farmer that we find here in God's kingdom. Is it just a wasteful, reckless farmer? Or is there more to this picture for us to think about and to understand? I would suggest that it's a picture of a truly generous farmer. He cares for the soil. He cares for life. He hopes for seed to grow. And so, he is willing to, to, to share that word regardless of situation and circumstance, regardless of how hopeless the ground may look. Our God is a God who loves us, who has desire for us and for all beyond our door. And so, he shares his love generously regardless of how we respond to him. He is eager and hopeful for us regardless of what we respond back. That is the wondrous truth of the gospel, that He goes to the cross before our response, not knowing exactly how we will respond, or in God He kind of does, but He still is trusting and loving us. It is out of a love for us that He acts, regardless of how we respond to that love. A generous farmer. And so, obviously, in a sense, the picture of this farmer is one of God, of Jesus. But we're also told in Scripture that as a church, as a people, we are the body of Christ. We are called to go out and be His hands and feet in the world. So, I'd go so far as to suggest this isn't just a picture of God in the farmer that we find, but also of us that we are called to be like Him in sharing His Word generously regardless of where we find ourselves. A passage that some of you will recognize from 1 Corinthians 3 says this, little words of Paul, after all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigns each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. I believe that we are called to be people who plant, who water, who do what we can in this garden that God is growing. And I'm going to be honest here, I am talking about one of those words that we also don't like talking about too much, evangelism. It's a very scary and daunting kind of word if we come to just kind of comfort in regular church. The idea of going out and talking to other people about Jesus, I don't know, that seems a bit daunting to me, particularly going out speaking to a stranger. I don't know what they're going to say back. I don't know how I'm going to respond. There's so many questions. I mean, some here, and I know some here, are fantastic natural evangelists. I know a lot out there are also like me who panic at the idea of evangelism. I can stand on a platform and speak without an issue. I can have a pastoral chat without an issue, but put me next to a stranger and tell me to talk to them about Jesus. I get very flustered, and my introvert definitely comes out in that kind of a situation. 
And I think in the past, I've always made a bit of an excuse of it. Because there are parts of Scripture where it talks about different people with different gifts, and you've got teachers, and you've got preachers, and, and all the rest of it. There's different elements, and so maybe that's the excuse. Maybe because people are gifted in different ways, I don't really need to do that too much. But I would suggest to that that Jesus himself doesn't really allow us that. There's a classic and powerful verse that we find at the end of Matthew 28 that some of you will know. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority has been given in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age." We are the current generation of the disciples that passed down through the ages. And our call, just like theirs, is to be people who go and make disciples, to find opportunities to share the Word of God. And I know that that is not an easy thing to do in many situations and circumstances. But one of the things that occurred to me, particularly out of this parable and out of conversations I've been having with people recently is one of the, I think the reason that I found it so daunting for a long time, and this is a challenge that I've kind of given to myself, is because of how I was evaluating my evangelism. What do I mean by that? Well, in my head, success in a kind of outreach evangelistic situation was when I went to someone, we had a long chat, there was a kind of miraculous God moment, they got converted, they came to faith, and bingo, success. That's, that's how it works, yeah? You go out, you've had a chat, and bam, they're a Christian, and that's your success marker, no? Or at least that's how I often felt like I was taught it when I was younger. But I would go so far as to suggest that what we find in this passage is a very different picture of success, of kingdom success. And that is one of invitation. Because we don't make anything grow, okay? If we find in, back in that passage in 1 Corinthians, um, the second part of it goes a little bit like this. So neither one who plants nor one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the ones who waters have purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. What do I think that that means? God is the one that does the growing in the lives of people around us. He is the one that, although this, we might kind of plant the seed, He is the one that brings it to life. So, it's not our responsibility to convert someone or to, to bring them to faith. That is the work of God in them. We can't force anyone to do anything. That's their choice. It's between them and God. It's a process of growth and transformation that many of us have been on in this very room. But what we can do, and what I believe we are called to do, is to invite, is to cre create space for invitation to those around us. 
And what if that was our marker of success? Not in whether or not the hordes of people are coming to faith because of our wise words or, or eloquent, eloquent speaking, but rather that our marker of success was in that we were willing to step forward in faith and to put out the simplest of invitation. That in speaking to someone and going, do you want to come along to this thing that's going on? I think you'll enjoy it. Or do you want me to pray for you? Because I understand that that's a pretty intense situation. And they might say no, and they might reject it. And that's okay, because for us, our success is that we are willing to step out in faith just like that farmer who is casting the seed, the Word of God, as they go. And some soil will respond to it, and some won't. But it's not our job to make it grow. It's God. It's God working in His miraculous and wonderful ways. So, I encourage you today to think on yourself, to think on your soil. How is your walk with God doing? Honestly, seriously, how is it going on? Where are the bits that maybe need some work? Because let's be honest, we all have bits that need some work. None of us here are sitting like, I'm the perfect soil. We all have stuff that we're working on, being refilled in His Spirit. But from there and from that place, we ask the second question, who can I invite? Who has God put on your mind and your heart? And it might not go anywhere, and that can be a little bit disheartening, but God is the one who's making it grow. And if we don't look for the opportunities, step into the situations, find ways that we can invite and encourage others, then we might never see that growth that we hope for. So, I encourage you and I implore you today to think on those two things. How is your soil and what does it look like to invite others? What we're going to do now just before we kind of go back into a time of worship, is I'm going to invite up one or two of our musicians. And I want to give you just a space, a moment. I was going to say in quiet, but we might have a little bit of a march going on outside. But, uh, but a moment of space and of quiet just to reflect on those two questions. How is your soil doing? And who could you potentially invite? And it doesn't have to be like come along to church in a really dramatic sense. It's the simplest of invitations, looking for those little opportunities to share the Word, to share God in simple, easy ways. So I encourage you to think on those things, to pray on those things. And then afterwards, uh, we will come back for a time of worship.